is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello and welcome to the Twilight Highlight Zone. I am your host this time around. My name is Ben Hansen, and I'm joined by one Mr. Jeff Cork. That's my name. Here we go. All right, we are on the third episode of the podcast covering the fourth season. Yep. This is the third block of three episodes, mm-hmm. which means it's episode seven through nine. Seven through ten. Is that what it is? No. <laughs> seven through nine. Uh, seven through nine. Okay. So we're starting out with a little episode called Jess Bell. And Not Jezebel. Now, before we start, I yes. want to offer you the opportunity to flip with me. Okay. And I can describe the middle one, and you can describe the other two. No. Okay. Well, that was a thorough debate. Yeah. All right. So, Jess Bell, the first note I took for this episode is asking, can we please skip this one? Because this was the classic case of what we were scared of. Like, when an episode starts in the season and you mm-hmm. don't like the premise in the first minute, and you yep. realize you have 59 minutes to go. The second you hear a folksy harmonica, <laughs> oh, you're like, oh, crud. So, it here begins. we are. <laughs> yeah, we are, in, we are in the South. We are in a small town. Uh, I guess in the past, I guess it's never really made clear. It kind of gives a vibe of like being in the 20s or 30s, I would imagine. Well, to be clear, Rod yeah. Sterling's narration says that this is a tale as old as time and that this is kind of like a, this is a retelling maybe that's best told by Grandpa at Firelight or something to There's, that effect. This is a weird narration from Sterling because it was super generic. Yeah, yeah, it was just that like, oh, have your grandpa tell you this story. Check out this doozy. And then, before I forget, yeah. there's no closer from nope. Serling on this episode, which I think is the first. He finished the voiceover, put the cigarette out on his forehead, and just stomped out. <laughs> He's like, I hate this episode, but I don't want to, you know. It could be great. It, it could, could be, be great. great. Who knows? Yeah, so it, it's weird because, you know, they recorded all the Serling intros in the beginning, and it right. might be one of those cases where it's like they didn't know 100% what the episode was going to be. So, like, let's just come up with a generic blanket template mm-hmm. of, like, have your grandfather tell you this little tale. I suspect what happened, though, Ben Hansen, because yeah. we're going to get back to the episode, but this Maybe will not. segue into it perfectly. Uh-huh. This one kind of has a secondary narrative device of a song, a really terrible ballad sung by a lady. And Sterling realized he couldn't compete with the song? No. Okay, let's dive no into the can. episode. All right, here we okay. go. Okay, the overall premise of this thing, there is a certain fella, and his name is mm-hmm. Billy Ben Turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... <laughs> Falls in love. He's like out of town or something. He comes back. Uh, he confesses his love to, let's just call her a blonde lady. Uh, oh, Elwin. What is it? Elwin. Elwin. Okay. Uh, and he says that he loves her in a quiet sort of way. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to get hitched by golly. Yep. I don't care what the town says. And meanwhile, they introduce another character named Jess Bell. Yes. Not Jezebel. Jess Bell. Yes. And she is. Just Jess Bell. Just Jess Bell. And she has black hair. Yes. A little ominous looking. Uh, and it, the story goes on to reveal that Jess Bell had a fling with Billy Ben Turner a long time ago. Kind of like, they kind of frame it as in, it was years ago and they fooled around out under the stars for a while. In a field or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Hot that, and heavy. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so that was really the, the red hot relationship. Yes. But then he fell in love with this blonde girl in a much more subtle and subdued way. And Jess Bell just cannot handle this. And so, because they announced it at this bar dance, 
Right, right. A barn. I'm sorry. A bar. That's an important N. It's a barn <laughs> dance. And One with uh, a guy kind of announcing the line dancing, and he really seems half-hearted about the whole thing. He's Promenade, Southern Star, there's your partner, here you are. Take number 47, <laughs> not just Bell. All right, and it's not even any of the fun shots that could have been retaken. Exactly. Again. All right, so the episode goes on with Jess Bell wanting to win back Billy Ben Turner's love, and so she <laughs> goes out to an old lady's hut, mm-hmm. uh, and it shows the lady inside the hut, and she has this dark hood as she's like stirring a cauldron. <laughs> And then <laughs> Jess Bell opens the door and she's like, oh, hello. And yeah. she tries to make herself all presentable. Uh, so if you couldn't figure out from that clue, this lady is a witch. Yes. And it's weird when she's acting very much like a witch when she's just by herself. Like mm-hmm. it's so much effort just to not act like a witch. Don't yeah. put a hood on. You're just sitting in your house by yourself. Just cool. Yeah. With the witchy business. <laughs> With the witchy business. If I'm not mistaken, is she the same lady who was in the hunt? Is she the same wife? I guess I could have looked Boy. this up. She My has, eyelids were so closed during yeah. the hunt. Let's say that she reminded me of her, if nothing else. All right. So uh, it turns out that Jess Bell is trying to get a magic device or a magic potion to make mm-hmm. Billy Ben Turner fall in love with her. Yes. Much like season one's The Chaser. Exactly like that, actually. And it turns out that whenever you want a magic potion to make somebody fall in love with you, it always ends up really well. It, everything goes yes. swimmingly. Uh, and so... It's eventually hinted at that this girl, that this old lady is a witch, mm-hmm. uh, and that... Because she, to get the potion, or to get this hex put on, she offers... She's like, I don't have anything, and she except offers... Except for... Yeah, her weird hair thing. Her silver hairpin. Hairpin, yeah. And, and the witch is just kind of like, oh, no, no, no thanks. And it turns out that the price is more severe than that, and of course, Chess Bell's like, I'll do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. Give me everything. Uh, and so the witch says, like, oh, you'll know at the midnight hour of time exactly what the price is. But here you go. Billy Ben's in love with you. And so she then goes back into town, uh, interrupts the wedding. It's like a wedding dance, I guess it is, or celebration between the blonde lady and Billy Ben Turner. And Billy Ben sees her and immediately just lets go of his blonde lady and walks out with Jess Bell. And his family hates it. Uh, his family's like, oh my God, that Billy Ben. I can't believe he walked out of this barn with that other lady. He is no good. Yeah. <laughs> they are not having it at all. It didn't just, and the dad is like, well, um, does he say something to the effect of, well, if, even if he came back crawling back, I, you know, he's done. He's, he's just done for. Right. And the blonde lady mm-hmm. uh, immediately suspects that there's witchcraft going on here. Because this is a tiny town, okay? And if you have someone who everyone just casually. Knows, oh yeah, she's a witch. Why don't you just kill her? That's what I would wonder. Well, we'll find out how hard it is to kill a witch later in this episode. Will I don't we? want to spoil things. All right. So uh, they, they roll around in the fields a little while longer. Mm-hmm. They separate. And He's talking all kinds of talk. Like he doesn't want to go to work anymore. He just wants to stare at her. This just seems a lot like the chaser, doesn't it? It's a lot like the chaser. Not as extreme where like the lady in the chaser was like, oh, I'll do anything yeah. for you. I just want to stare at you. I never want to leave. He's... Still a normal human, just madly mm-hmm. in love. This is the same actor, by the way, who was in the episode. Uh, it's Roscoe P. Coltrane. You remember? He was in that other episode where is he the devil or not? The guy who came back. Jeff Myrtlebank. Jeff Myrtlebank, yeah. Which might come up later as a reference, too. Yes. Keep in mind. Uh, so anyways, she runs away from him, kind of like Cinderella. Like, oh, I got to go. It's almost midnight. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out that at the stroke of midnight, she turns into a puff of fog. 
and then a jaguar. Just why not? Not a Black Panther, which no. makes sense because she's a very black figured lady, but they go with a jaguar. So here's a question. Is this something that was like in that era? Because I know one of your favorite moments in the Twilight Zone is that one crazy dancer lady who was the cat lady. Mm, yeah. They always like something about like a sexy lady and she's kind of cat like. And this one is just she just becomes a cat like the writers are like, well, we've got a whole hour. Let's just go for it. Let's just make her a cat. I don't know. There's so many things where I found myself wondering, like, is this a common part of witch witching lore? Like, I don't know. We're going to get to a lot of those coming up, I think. Okay. Uh, so basically, she turns into the jaguar. Uh, she then, like, it's a reveal that, like, the blonde lady suspects that she is a jaguar. Like, they have a <laughs> conversation a little later where she's like, you know, all the guys are getting together tonight because there's reports of a, a giant cat around town. They're yeah. going to hunt that cat down. What do you think about that? Even Billy Ben. Even Billy Ben Turner himself. Him, himself, exactly. Yeah, and so she's freaked out about the whole thing. Because she's going to get shot. She's going to get <laughs> shot. As you might get freaked out about. Yeah, so she even like locks herself in her room. She tells her mom, yeah. lock the door. No matter what you hear, don't let me out. And it's just a lot of jaguars knocking on the door <laughs> repeatedly. Something I just take for granted, and this is a device that's used in the Twilight Zone a lot, including another episode in this block, is people locking their doors from both sides. What? And I guess in my house, I've never locked an interior door, but that door, the mom was able to lock it from the outside. Well, I mean, she seemed like a troublemaker kind of kid. Yeah. Maybe she had to do that just because she's always sneaking around town I don't know, with just Billy seems, Ben's. Yeah, could be. Uh, there's also a scene where she was with Billy Ben Turner mm -hmm. and then ran out again mm -hmm. and turned into a jaguar. And Billy Ben walked out there looking for her. And she, as a jaguar, was like sitting on the roof of the porch. Yeah. Uh, and then like the stinger for the second commercial break. First commercial break stinger was she's a jaguar. Right. Second commercial break stinger is... She's a jaguar again, and then the camera zooms in just to make sure we didn't miss the fact that there's a it's, jaguar sitting it's there. It's totally her. Yeah. <laughs> Jess Bell is a jaguar that looks, also starts with J. Yeah. Looks exactly like her. So her mom locks the door and says, and she says, whatever you hear, don't let me out. But apparently the window was not locked and the jaguar is able to jump out through the window. <laughs> so that didn't really work that well. Yeah. Is that what it was? Then she went over to... Billy Benz as the Jaguar? She just went in a, into a barn at that point, and everyone followed her in. Yeah. And they just shot her. And they shot her, and a puff of smoke appeared, and then her wedding ring, which is unclear if the Jaguar was wearing the wedding ring or not. It had it in a little Jaguar pocket. Okay. Where were her pants and, and whatnot as well? There's a oh, lot of questions. Like I'd like to see that Jaguar wearing a brassiere. I'm with you, Cork. All right, so the ring <laughs> falls out out of the puff of smoke, uh, and... They realized what happened, but then they also discussed like, oh, well, she was clearly a witch, but you can't kill a witch. They just turned to something else. Yes. Which I didn't understand this whole concept about witches constantly shifting into other animals, but that's that's the lore we got here. Yeah. All right. So it's then one year later. Yep. And there is a magical song about <laughs> Billy Ben Turner, a little bit incoherent. They're back in love. Billy, Ben, and Elwyn are having a great time. They're getting married. They actually get married. They get married. There is a but, spider yes. crawling up uh, her dress. Dun, dun, dun. Billy, Ben grabs it and then squeezes it because he realizes that it's 
Jess Bell in another animal form, and a puff of smoke comes out of his hands. Yep. Uh, they then go to his house because they're a happy married couple. Yep. And they're very scared of Jess Bell because they know that she's around as an animal. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the part of the episode I liked when they knew that they were being like stalked by some animal form of this witch. And then you see it. And it's a mouse on a grandfather <laughs> clock. <laughs> and it just falls over. And it just like falls over. Yeah, she's she's losing her mind. She can't handle it. Okay. Uh, and so Billy Ben, he's like, hang on a second. Sit here in this house that'll probably kill you. Mm-hmm. By the way, she could be any animal. She could just be a 400-pound gorilla barging through this door right yes. now. But just don't worry about it. Just take this Bible. Yeah, you'll be super cool. It's kryptonite. And so then he runs and talks to the witch. Mm-hmm. And the witch seems like she has a little bit of a crush on Billy Ben. Just oh, she's little, sweet on him. She's, she's got, she's got yeah. the hots. Yeah. Uh, and So here's the thing know. that really stuck out to me in this scene. Yeah. Okay. Is he says, I want to get rid of Jess Bell. We got to get rid of her spirit. And then the witch says, well, you can't get, a, get rid of a witch that easy. Right. You know, you know what are you willing to pay? He's like, I've got money. She's like, well, it's going to take a lot of money. So then they do the old, she's looking away as he puts a bunch of coins in her hands and eventually like she can detect enough weight on her hand scale where it's like, oh, okay. They made it abundantly clear earlier in the episode that just even looking at a silver hat pin was enough to make the witch flinch, right? Right. So was he paying with gold doubloons or is he paying with silver currency? Because this is a black and white. It's not silver. I mean, what it's the Back silver. Then it was the silver half dollar, silver dollar. That was actual silver, mm-hmm. but I mean, it could be any other coins. Uh huh. I don't know. Everything else. What are is nickels just... made out of? What metal could a nickel be made? Out of? I don't know, but he, it's probably nickel. He I... gave her like fourteen nickels, and then she was at any rate. Uh, well, so, she... so much for my awesome theory. Listen. No, I also thought about that. It. I was waiting for that too. Okay. Uh, so it turns out that to kill a witch, mm-hmm. you have to dress a mannequin up in her clothing and then stab it with a pair of scissors. Yes. And so he does that. And it's got to be clothing. Yeah, in her clothing. So he goes yeah. to the old mother-in-law and says, hey, can I have some of Jess Bell's old clothing? <laughs> I want to kill your daughter's ghost. Also, uh, Jess Bell really pulls a doozy and stops possessing animals, mm-hmm. but possesses the blonde lady. Which, if she had that in her back pocket, you think she would have led with it? Just possessed Billy Ben Turner, and then she could have felt his love from the inside. Oh, so the so the possessed blonde lady is like, "Come on, Billy Ben, dance with me in the moonlight," being all creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's when he dresses up the mannequin. But he just and, so happens to have in his bachelor pad. <laughs> what comes in handy? And stabs her with a pair of scissors, and uh, there we go. Then you like see her stand up, like you see Jess Bell wearing the dress, and then she falls down like Obi Wan. Yeah, and then a. Comet races across the sky. Because her grandmother told her every time a falling star is there, a witch died. And then the song builds up again. Billy Ben. <laughs> Billy Ben. <laughs> That's the, probably the only time anyone has ever sung a song with the lyric, Binny Ben. <laughs> uh, that was it. Yeah, no outro. Just let's get this over with. Because, I mean, what would he have said at that point? Like, well, we told you exactly how to kill a witch. And then for the next 10 minutes, you saw him execute this super boring plan <laughs> yeah uh this episode was not great no did you notice though who jess bell was no she's been in the twilight zone before this might blow your mind she Man. had different hair color different hair color yes i have this no is idea. a really great episode 
she was the main character in the After Hours. No. Yes. Really? Yes. Completely different hair color. Well, yeah. It went from white to black. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's quite a change. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Good research. A beautiful lady. All right. I looked at it, Wikipedia. Thank it you. makes it a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, still still not a great episode. Like, my favorite no. part was the idea of, like, a year has gone by. They think they might have killed Jezebel, Jezebel in <laughs> the Jaguar form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one knows for sure. It's right. just, like, this ambiguous thing of, like, she could come back at any time and kill bride or groom because she's so pissed about yeah. this. About being screwed over after she sold her soul. And also, like, that part mm-hmm. where she... Talked to the witch after selling her soul mm-hmm. and becoming a jaguar, and turns out part of the deal was yeah she would become a witch herself. But she was just talking about like how she had Billy Ben Turner's love, but she couldn't feel it because she was kind of hollow inside and she couldn't feel emotions anymore. Right. That was an interesting little sidebar. But outside of that, it was a lot of old timey music. Yeah, a lot of harmonica. <laughs> I gave this one a four. I gave it a three. Okay. I, w- I debated that three. I might have even deleted it and bumped it up to I'd a say four. The, 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 my favorite thing about it, aside from seeing the pretty lady from After Hours, yeah. was the first time Jess Bell, like the clock strikes midnight, is like, well, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's what just happened. And then it's like, okay, that's it. Yeah. When, once that Jaguar is seen, mm-hmm. that's the peak. They don't even save it for the end, like the no. beautiful episode of The Jungle, where you get the good closer of a right. cool lion shot. The yeah. Jaguar doesn't do anything. Every time you see the Jaguar, it's just sitting there. Even when it's getting shot, it's just practically asleep. Yeah. It, the way when it opened the windows, too, I thought it was a guy with gloves, like Jaguar gloves. <laughs> but but then it really was, I guess, the Jaguar because you saw it pop out. There we go. There hey, go. how about we make a pact? Let's do it. Never to talk about Jess Bell again. <laughs> okay. All right. Even, well, maybe in the Franklins. Oh, yeah, that's true. Best use of a pretty lady. Uh, I'm going to sound like a super creep now, apparently. Worst song. Worst song. Okay. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. There Moving might be on, another dude. one. So the next one is Miniature. This episode is tailor-made for you. You think so? In a couple ways. I, I'm very excited to hear why you think this. All right, go on. Okay, so it starts off with a super creep. Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a young... Robert Duvall. Did you recognize him immediately? Yeah. This was another Dennis Hopper situation. I got this one sooner. I just started thinking like, God, this guy kind of looks like, what's that actor's name? Robert Duvall. Yeah. Like, oh, of course it's him. Yeah. So we start off with him. He's playing a little guy named Charlie. He's in an office. It's the same office as uh, is it Mr. Denton. Not Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Who's Mr. Beamish. Mr. Beamish. Yeah. Yeah, him. It's his office, okay? I wish it was Mr. Bemis on Tuesday. So anyway, he's in the office. Everyone's typing on their typewriters. Then it's lunchtime. Everyone stands up, except for Charlie. He continues work a little bit. And then someone stands up and says, eh, goody two-shoes. Or, and then, then they all leave. So he takes his time, stands up. You can see like, the ma- office manager, uh, who you've probably seen in four episodes of The Twilight Zone now. From, uh, he's the cook from Real, Real Martian. Please stand up. Yep, yep. That's probably his most notable appearance there. Kind of looks at him and then Charlie walks away. So he's going to go to lunch because their cafeteria is closed. So he goes to the museum nearby and kind of wandering around and goes trying to remember exactly how this happens. He kind of he starts to go upstairs and then a group of ladies is there 
getting a museum tour and he gets jostled learning about Africa and the savages and the, the dark continent and all that. And you can see, it's just kind of a way of showing how he's getting pushed around by people and he's not asserting himself because instead of just saying, Hey, excuse me, I need to go up the stairs. He just kind of goes with the flow. Eventually goes upstairs into the Egyptian room and then passes through there to the Victorian room whereupon immediately sees this giant dollhouse and walks over to it and to his astonishment, sees a doll playing the harpsichord. And he, he thinks, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And he's just transfixed, and you can see he's so happy when he sees it. And then he sees the guard, the museum guard, walks over to him, and he's like, so tell me about that thing. How do they do it? Transistors? What's the yeah, secret? Yeah, transistors. What's the secret? And he's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, how do they get the doll to, to play the piano and he's like uh, i don't know what you're talking about he's like that's a wooden doll there's a sign right there yeah the wooden doll is like this doll's carved out of a block of wood from the house that this is representing yeah and he's like uh, okay because he also is like she's it's playing a very a tune that's very like beautiful to him as well and he kind of hums a few Apparently bars it's memorable yeah it's so memorable i cannot remember it <laughs> anyway he stays there for a while and then he comes back to the office and he's late because he spent so much time checking out this doll Right? Is this the first time that it happens? Uh, yes. Let's just say yes. Okay. So anyway, it becomes a habit for him. He goes to this place, checks out the doll, and he starts talking to it. Eventually he gets fired. Uh, his boss lets him know, lets him go because he says that <laughs> he's just not fitting in. Yeah. That's his only justification, Charlie's like, well, okay then. <laughs> and he's walking out and the boss is like, by the way, I know I just fired you, but... Are you still living with your mom too? Because yeah. it's kind of creepy because you're old. Yeah, yeah. You should not do that. So he goes home. He's just totally like cool with it. About kind of seems a little bummed out, but not too bummed out because he's got a beautiful lady in his life, this tiny doll. So he goes home and his mom is um kind of she's making him lunch or whatever, and she's just like, I can't believe that he would do that. Let me let me talk to him. And she goes to pick up the phone to talk to the boss to give him a good scolding. He's like, Mom, you don't need to do that. It's absurd. So then she's like, okay, and kind of guides him into his bedroom and says he should take a nap, takes his shoes off. Kind and of then a... he whistles in bed mm-hmm. the song that he heard in the miniature dollhouse. Yes. Uh, which also becomes a main part of the soundtrack that then carries forward throughout the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And is it now that we should really stop and talk about this character? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite characters that we've seen on Twilight Zone so far. Robert Duvall does such an awesome job. That's what I want to say is like, I don't want to save it for the end. Cause like, this is a character who by all accounts should just be a super creep. And I think that this episode, I'll just kind of just go into it right now. Please. May as well. I think that this character, this entire episode does such a fantastic job of fleshing out all of the characters. Yes. I Cause mean, like the mom yeah. is overbearing, but she, feels kind of human right. at the same time. She's not super shrill. Like, she's self-conscious about being overbearing. In yeah, a way. like the Twilight Zone, I think, has had a really tough time dealing with overbearing mothers, you know what I mean, and their representation sure. Sorry, of Sarah moms Lynn. in general is kind sure. of weird. But I think that you could tell that this is a really loving person, and she just maybe should have kicked him out of the house Yeah, earlier. who just happened to raise a son that's a little bit off. Yes, and yeah. there's also the sister character mm-hmm. and her husband who are around. Yes. And there's a great scene where uh, 
the mom, let's see, I wrote it down here. This is nerdy. Uh, where the mom's like, they're just sitting around eating breakfast and the mom asks the sister, I'm not one of those mothers that tries to keep their children with them all the time. Isn't that right, Myra? And then Myra's just like eating. She's like, uh, could you pass the butter, please? Just like tries yeah. to change the toppings. Like, oh, it's a good, subtle joke. Mm-hmm. Moving on. And yeah, it does. Like even the sister is a very empathetic character. And then her husband... I think the episode, as it goes more and more, like he remains a relatively subtle character. Buddy, he's a, his name's Buddy, and he's just like kind of a lunkhead. Yeah, like but a, they don't really play it up for his slapsticks. No, they're just like, well, we'll go into it uh, how they kind of touch on that a little bit later, I mm-hmm. guess. But but this character, the main one, Charlie, like I was trying to think of a way to describe the way he acts, and the closest I can come up with is like Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Just, he speaks, but he's always just a little bit quiet and just a little bit out of his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but always very polite. Just a really gentle person. Yeah, but, but deeply troubled. Yeah. It's, he just is not clearly not connecting with anyone. No, really. but he's a fascinating character. Yeah. He's the most fascinating character on TV since Rust Cole and True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> Those two, man, right yeah. up there. Yeah. And so, it's all that Robert Duvall performance. Like, yeah. he did such an amazing job. If this would have been anybody else, it would have been like, oh, it's a weirdo moving on. But yeah, exactly. I hope that this episode is part of the reason why Robert Duvall skyrocketed mm-hmm. the fame. Yeah, because I would imagine this is after To Kill a Mockingbird, right? 63, 64? Uh, I don't know. I don't hmm. know how that exactly lines up. Anyway. Go ahead. In another weirdo role. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we kind of find out that this... You know, Charlie's kind of half-heartedly looking for employment, but all roads lead to the museum. Yeah, his brother-in-law tries to hook him up with like a construction gig or something a little more labor-intensive. Yeah, he's just not into it. He's just kind of like, eh, maybe, whatever, possibly. Yeah. Uh, his sister sets him up on a date. Yeah, with uh, some lady at the office, and it's this blonde lady who's like, ooh, you're quiet, huh? Yeah, like the quiet guys are dangerous. Yeah, and tries to kiss him on a bench. And then he accidentally knocks her off knocks the bench. Her, yeah, and she slaps him. <laughs> so that doesn't go well. So it's there's a reason why he keeps going to this museum and hanging out with the dollhouse, you know, and he's, he's talks to the dolls like, yeah, I went on a date and I met this girl, but she wasn't as pretty as you. You're the, the prettiest one. And meanwhile, there's this drama going on in the dollhouse, right? <laughs> so this yeah. little doll, it's kind of played like melodramatically. So there's... Well, it's weird because... There's a glass barrier separating right. the exterior of the dollhouse and mm-hmm. the interior. And so they can't hear each other. It's not like he's interacting with, this no, doll, no, with no. these dolls. He's talking to them and he can't hear them either. No, and the way they handle it too is it's kind of like a little projection kind of thing. You know what I mean? So she's moving around and doing stuff. Anyway, this um, kind of villainous character pops in and he's uh, like a suitor for the little doll, right? And he... Eventually um, knocks the maid. The ma- he comes by first time and tries to kiss the doll, you know, and then and then she's not having any of it and kind of shoes him out. He comes back later, hits the maid in the dollhouse with his cane, and then knocks her out and then goes and grabs the doll and is like carrying the doll up the stairs to the bedroom. And Robert Duvall just cannot handle that, so he grabs something and breaks the glass. At which point, the jig is up. And you could tell, like, the gu- the museum guard, you know, grabs him, but seems, he does even the museum guard doesn't seem like a huge jackass. You know what I mean? He seems like, he's kind of like, okay, that's enough. You know, Well, you at a certain point, like, he tries to, because Robert Duvall <clears throat> is there so much, sorry, we should say Charlie, mm-hmm. uh, and the security guard goes up to them, and Charlie is just, like, super reasonable about it, like, 
am I breaking a law by being here so much? Yeah. Like, am I doing anything wrong? And the security guard's like, I guess not. It's just you're here every day. You're here for like four hours at a time. Kind of talking <laughs> to the tiny lady. One time he was like criticizing what she was having for breakfast. Yeah, he's like, I, you know, I would eat more than that. Because <laughs> she just takes a tiny nibble of doll food. Yeah. So anyway, it, it, when he breaks the case, the glass case, though, that's when you have a problem. So the next time we see him, he's in a psychiatrist's office. And he's trying to explain, I forget if it's to the guard or the psychiatrist, that like, oh, she, talking about the miniature lady, she didn't know what kind of guy he was. I could have told her exactly what kind of guy that suitor was. He looked like trouble the second I saw him. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a villain, yeah. And all this. then, you know, the guy's like, well, you need to understand, you know, it's a doll, okay? <laughs> it's She's not real, it's just a doll. And then he produces from a box um, the doll and opens up the box. And then you see him look at the doll and from the reaction, I couldn't tell if he's just like super bummed out about it because at that moment he realizes, oh, crud, it's something carved out of a single block of wood from the right. banister. But no, it is the doll. And he's just like, oh, this is effing awesome. You, <laughs> here she is. Now I can touch her. Outside you know? of the glass case? Yeah. So he like picks her. He, the guy hands her to him. And it's a really crappy prop at first. I was like, oh, this doll looks like crap. And then you see Robert Duvall in kind of a, a really bad superimposed shot of him holding the doll in her hand in his hand and just as beautiful as the little lady you know it's her and he just you see like tears running down his eyes he's just so happy and uh yeah he's he's holding the doll it's a great moment for but him. then the psychiatrist explains that like i know you're seeing this mm-hmm. but what that actually is is a block of wood right it's pretty lenient of the museum to just Give one of their displays yeah, to the like, psychiatrist. Yeah, and he says it belongs to the museum too, so I have to bring it back. Yeah, seriously, I really need to bring it back. <laughs> they don't know I have this. <laughs> so then the mom comes and she's super upset. Yeah. About this, the whole way, the way everything's gone down. And then, then time passes, right? To where he's going to get released. He's and, been in there for quite some time. Right. And, and he's over the top nice. Super nice. Everything is great. He's like, I understand that what was that I was just. Seeing that because I needed that in my life, um, but you know, it was just an inanimate block of wood. Yeah, ready yes. to move on. I will totally go on this date. Uh, I will take that job, brother-in-law. Yes, let's just move on. And there's a funny bit too when everyone is kind of gathered around the doctor. The doctor is talking about what normal is, and yes. like if you wear your socks, if you if you wear your socks to bed. Because I think it's like the sister or the mom asks, like, "Well, is he normal now?" And the mm-hmm. doctor's like, "Well, define normal." Like, right. If major- a norm- normal just means like a majority of people, like if a majority of people started wearing socks to bed, mm-hmm. that would be normal, but it's it, not really normal. At which point Buddy's like, hey, I wear socks to bed. <laughs> exactly. And then just- Buddy starts like cracking his knuckles and you realize, oh, he's been cracking his knuckles the whole time, you know, kind of in the background. The doctor's like, well, why do you do that? And then he's like super self-conscious about it. Yeah. And yeah kind of- it's not like the doctor was accusatory with it. He was no. like, why do you do that? Like, what's going on there? And like just those couple references of like Buddy is also a super weird guy mm-hmm. just driving that home that point home of like, oh, well, no one's really normal. Like everyone has yeah. weird quirks. Yeah. Charlie's is just masturbating to a miniature. <laughs> well, I don't know if we need to go that far. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but anyway, so he goes home and he's raving about his mom's hot cocoa and oh, how he missed it. And, you know, and he's like, I said, he's going to take the job and all this stuff, but I'm going to, you're going to take a nap first. And then the girl's going to come over and he's like, he's like, I'll go on that date. Well, that's good. Cause she's coming over a little while. Right. So he's like, well, I'm going to go take a nap in preparation. So he gets in his room and then it's just like, ugh. you can tell he's just immediately locks the door and 
she the doorbell rings a little bit later the lady comes in and they're like okay let's go get let's get charlie it's time for his big date and knocks on the door and he's not answering and then eventually the buddy breaks the door down and well, hang on. Let's let's really dissect this moment. Okay. That last sentence right there. <clears throat> okay. They're standing inside his room. Buddy is a he's a pretty big guy. Mm-hmm. Not a huge beefcake. Uh, and they're like, "Buddy, break the door down." He's like, oh, "Okay, here we go." And then he just like bangs on it twice, and it just flies open. Mm-hmm. If I were to say, "Break that door down," mm-hmm. how long would it take you to get that door open? That door? It was any door. Mm-hmm. Just the average door. It's just I like that the whole family is under this assumption of like, "Buddy, open that locked door," and he's like. Piece of cake. (laughs) (laughs) Can do. Cracks his knuckles. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Laughs at some more funny pages. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Gets right into it. Yeah. 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 So then obviously Buddy has, or uh, Charlie has left the the room. He's nowhere to be found. He's got crud. So the doctor. They call the museum to find out that it's closed. The museum is closed. So then the next thing is they call the doctor. And the doctor comes over and he's like, well, museum's closed, but I bet he's there. So. Smart, smart move. So they go to the museum. And he, they show Charlie then climbing out of like a sarcophagus from yes. the Egyptian yes. exhibit to go over and talk. Yeah. It's kind of like he's figuring out some stuff with the miniature. It's kind of like, oh, maybe that will work. Something like that. And he walks over to the case, to the to the dollhouse. And at this point, he's like, at this point, he says, um, you know, I, th- I realized while I was at the, they tried to make it so you weren't real, but right. I knew you're real and... Not only that, but I realized that I love you. And he starts saying it. And then she kind of looks around a little bit like she's hearing something. Uh-huh. And he just keeps saying it and saying it. And you can tell it's kind of overwhelming her. And then everyone comes in to the museum and they're like, okay, don't turn the lights on. Does anyone see him? Okay, mother, go look for him. You know, call call out his name and everything. It's like, obviously, he's, he's, if he's anywhere, he's going to be by the dollhouse. Why don't you right. just walk right in there and go to the dollhouse? <laughs> it's not like he's shown a sudden interest in like, oh, these uh, African masks. I'm really, I think I'm going to have a new thing after I went, went yeah, to the yeah, doctors. Yeah. So anyway, they go to the dolls, turn on the lights. They can't find him anywhere. They're looking around. It's just like he's gone. And the guard looks over at the dollhouse and he sees sitting on the little chase lounge. He sees the doll and they see Charlie and they're looking at one of those like stereogram things. Yeah, yeah. And the guard kind of smiles a little bit and then they move on. And that's the end of the episode. And Sterling explains that the guard didn't tell him and mm-hmm. that they just never found Charlie. So as yeah. far as the family knows, he fell off the face of the earth. Yes. Uh, that final shot of him inside the house, like mm-hmm. I, I assume you saw it coming as well pretty early on. Yeah. Okay. But I thought it was, I thought it, he, I had like one of two things is going to happen here. Yeah. It's either going to be, he becomes the doll and it's awesome or, Someone is going to break the doll and just just to be an asshole. <laughs> and I was so happy that it ended up. This yeah, way. this is just such a lovely episode. It's amazing. And so when it got towards that ending, even though like I guess that that's probably where it's going to end, I realized like this whole episode has played it pretty straight. This is mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a Twilight Zone episode. It's just a weird look at this pretty sincere look at this guy having mental problems. Mm-hmm. And his life is just never quite worked out. Yeah, uh, and I wished at that point that they wouldn't have shrunk him down. You think so? Yeah, I wish that like he was just sitting there crying or something. Like if they could have just held on to it and kept it straight forever. Because like the finale, it's like okay, he shrinks down and lives in the dollhouse. It's like maybe 
I don't want to say it. Maybe I'm just getting sick of Twilight Zone stuff at <laughs> no! this point. But it's like, it's just the most Twilighty Zone thing in an episode that otherwise stands out so much. Hmm. But I think the, the reason it stands out is because she's alive. <laughs> you know what I she's mean? She's alive. The sequel. No, but I mean, like, if it just walked over and we never saw that she's alive to him. You know, I mean, obviously he's having yeah, that's some mental fine issues. because you just see it as you're seeing it through his eyes, just right. like that scene in the doctor's. And office, I like the you know? fact that it's like that he realizes his dream. I think that's great. <laughs> as being, it's not like I mean, you look at it with this miserable life he's got. Otherwise, it's just, it's just nice. Nice for him to shrink nice down for him. and do the impossible. Yeah, I don't know if they have a little tiny toilet or yeah, I don't know if he's still he's plumbing. Get hungry in there? Maybe the villainous guy's going to come back. Oh, geez. It's going to be a brutal fight, and the guard just won't be able to peel himself away. He'll be staring at that t- tiny life. Tiny little bloodstains. Honestly, that would be a good sequel episode as the guard, because he's the only one who knows, so he probably feels some responsibility for like watching and making sure that Robert Duvall is okay in so there. So now, if other people go there, do they see Robert Duvall, the Robert Duvall doll in the, in the, in the, in the dollhouse? Or is it just, do they just see the one I would imagine girl. because the guard... Seem completely normal, and yeah. he saw him. That then everybody would see him. This is a story about a gas leak, isn't it? Because <laughs> when he spends four hours there, it just kind of becomes a self fulfilling prophecy where you start <laughs> hallucinating and seeing things. Like most people, they don't linger in an exhibit long enough to be poisoned. True, very true. So he's just suffered traumatic brain injury from <laughs> looking at dollhouse too long. Uh, did you? Were you as amazed by that performance as I was? Yeah, absolutely. And that, like I said, the thing that I love about this is that it's not just one good performance in the episode. Like all the characters, it seems like everyone did a great job. The characterization was really solid throughout. Just like the, the way that yeah. Buddy could have been just a completely boring oaf. But he seemed like a pretty nice, fun goofball. Yeah. and <laughs> More the, goof than ball, but yeah. <laughs> You know, here's some interesting stuff. Oh, please. Here's some mind-blowing stuff about Buddy. The actor who played Buddy was also H.R. Puffin stuff. I've never seen that, it but is I know it's weird. some crazy stuff. <laughs> and he was the voice, because I was like, oh, I bet he did some cartoon like animation uh-huh. voice work. The voice of Scrappy-Doo. Oh, my God. The best of the doos. Inch high, private eye. What the hell is that? Is a liter- quite literally, I don't need to describe it if you just heard what I said. Inch high, private eye is a little cartoon. Is that Robert Duvall's character? Yeah, it used to be on the Cartoon Network. Okay. Or on USA Cartoon Express. And was the voice of a character you don't see very much in McDonald's commercials ever anymore, Captain Crook, when they first introduced the filet fish What's the difference between him and the Hamburglar? Is he uh, like the Hamburglar for He was fish? a seafaring crook. What happened to him? I think the filet fish they realize that kids don't like that crap. So why market to them? At any wow. rate, this was exquisitely acted by everyone, including HR Puff and stuff. Yeah. I think this might be a weird comparison, but what this episode reminded me of more than anything else, outside of True Detective and Cole, yeah. is uh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh, yeah. With like the yeah. sister trying to hook... This mm-hmm. weird brother up and everybody kind of feeling sad for him and yeah. bad for his life, but still really trying to be there for yeah. him, even though he's really detached. Yeah. And I'm such a sucker for that storyline of like, oh, it's the weird sibling. I'm going to mm-hmm. try and hook him up and hope for the best. Yeah. And I'll pawn, pawn him off on someone else. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel weird towards the date that had to go on. Like, that's also a story I would like to see is to be in that role of the weirdo 
the, the person that's forced to go on the dates with the weirdos. Yes. Like, well, you're just going to have to take this blow for the team. Go out there into the park and try and kiss him, I guess. Don't know she makes a you. really horrible, like, kissy face, though, too. Yeah, she's not she's not a great character. But still, I, I felt bad for her. Yeah. And she was, she was there for him, man. She slapped him real nicely. <laughs> so what made you think about me when you saw this episode? Uh, because it involves tiny people. Tiny people. In a I tiny house. Tiny which people in tiny house. weird fetish. Yeah. And also, you're just an insane person in general. Okay. And so, <laughs> I, I love nicely. it. So what did you give this one? Here's the thing. I had a number written down. And yeah? I think I wanted to go higher. And then mm-hmm. as we were talking about it, I realized this is higher than I gave it credit for. Yeah. I originally had an eight and I bumped it up to a nine. Yeah. I'm, here's where I am. Yeah. I gave it a nine. I, gosh, I really want to give it a higher. Because the more I talk about this one, the more I just love it. I think that this, this for me, feels like one of those episodes. One of those rare episodes where you're like, okay, you've never seen The Twilight Zone. I think this is like a side of the show that um, th- I, this probably will be one of the only hour-long episodes that really sticks out in my mind. I yeah. mean, there's some that are really good and fun, but this one seems like works really well in the hour long format. I know I say that about just yeah. about every episode, but this one in particular just feels like it wouldn't have worked at all. But imagine your other big recommendations, like the fever, imagine yeah. like showing somebody the fever, uh-huh. like 20 minutes of insanity yes. versus hour long, pretty subtle mm-hmm. character study yeah. with one twilight zone yeah. twist at the end. And that's like, that's my only complaint that I have about is the, episode. the twist. Is that, is that twist? Or is it, okay. All right. Sure. Yeah. Let's bring it back down to twilight yeah. zone level, but it's still, Absolutely amazing. And I love that it's, I don't think it's as good mm-hmm. as when the sky was opened. Yeah. But it's in that camp of like, I had no idea what this was going in. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard of this episode before. Yeah, exactly. I guess like there was a lawsuit and so it wasn't aired very often. Hmm. Um, and so it just never got that popular. But yeah, it's just, it's an amazing performance. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. I don't know if I should bump it up. You, It's your final call. Yeah. Man, I don't. I want to bump it up. You're giving it the official 10. I want to give it the official 10. The this episode 10. is great. Okay. Did you know who the doctor was too? No. He's been in another episode. He was uh, one of the five characters in Search of an Exit. Which one? He was the army guy or the not the uh, military dude. Okay. But, All right. uh, speaking of small characters in that one. Uh, yeah. What a, is it with that? <laughs> yeah. Boy, what was that episode about? Uh, no, they did a really good job shooting the stuff in the house to make it look like they were tiny. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously it was just like a wide shot. Yeah. But I, I'm not smart enough to figure out exactly how they can do that. Because like just shooting something in a wide shot wouldn't make everything look small. Mm-hmm. But somehow they really pulled it off. And maybe it's just a trick of editing. Like if you cut back and forth between Robert Duvall's face looking down at them, yeah. huge. And then a wide shot, your brain just fills it in. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if there's something more clever with the camera that they're doing to make it look like that. Yeah. Uh, but I thought outside of the special effects where the doctor's holding the lady in his hand... I mm-hmm. thought all the special effects looked pretty impressive yeah. for this episode. That that dollhouse layout, this is my final thing I'll say. Remind it was almost exactly like the house in Little Computer People. An old I've always game. wanted to play that game. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's uh David Crane programmed that one. Do you think it would hold up for like a weird replay? I don't know. Okay. But it's uh yeah. It, it I played it on my Amiga back in the day and it was super great. So All right. Well, there you uh, go. this might inspire us to play the game and fall in love with people. There you go. For once. All right. Oh, boy. All Speaking right. of love. In all the wrong places. Uh, Printer's Devil mm-hmm. is the next episode. Uh, this episode opens with a newspaper man down in his luck 
he's realizing that his newspaper is crumbling around him. His trusty typeface man. man Linotype who, operator. Linotype? Mm-hmm. Okay. The guy who runs the machinery for the newspaper. Yep. It's his number two employee. He only has two employees <laughs> at this point, And he's leaving. The old guy's like, I'm getting out of here. This newspaper is going nowhere. The and this news- newspaper came in. Yeah. The other newspapers in town are doing really well. And so all the newspaper guy has left is an attractive secretary who mm-hmm. he's also apparently sleeping with. That relationship was confusing for a while. Mm-hmm. Eventually it is that they are apparently an item and she wants to get married. Ah. Uh, but she starts out by calling them a real gloom cookie. Yep. <laughs> I am not a gloom cookie. Nope. Uh, so he's feeling bad about this whole thing and she's upset that he's allowing the old man to just quit. She's like, this was your dream. Don't you care about so, being a newspaper man? It, okay, so there's a weird thing when the old guy leaves. He's yeah. like, I hate to do it, but I haven't been paid in eight weeks. And they kind of turn it around like, this guy's bad for looking for another opportunity. Like, And the, the lady's like, didn't you say he was the best boss you've ever had? He's like, right. yeah, but I mean, I got to... Uh, oh, you are the best. It. you know. And as he leaves, he's like, you're still number one. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I am sorry. Maybe that was just a, a no, different no, era. I think... If you don't pay me for eight weeks, I am, I'm out of there by week two, actually. Yeah, I think it was just the wife was a little... Or the girlfriend was a little more emotional about the whole thing. She's yeah. like, how can you abandon him? Um, you don't really, pay someone for eight weeks. That's exactly how that happens. I don't know <laughs> how much more clear that needs to be. You realize that Twilight Zone has had two episodes back-to-back made for you. Tiny people uh-huh. and now just the life of a newspaper man. The life of a newspaper man. How long did you work in a newspaper? Good grief. About four years. Four years? Four years. Okay. Yeah, four years. Did you have like the machinery that they have in this episode and everything? No, that they don't use the same technology anymore. Oh, you're saying they don't use technology from the 50s anymore? No. Um, we'll get to that, though. Okay, all right. So anyways, uh, he is upset that his newspaper's crumbling. He drives to a bridge really drunk, and he's going to kill himself. Mm-hmm. He is stopped by a friendly old Burgess Meredith. Yes. Uh, who is, you know, very friendly, and he says, like, oh, you're a newspaper man. Well, I am a great writer and editor, and I, I also am, I can operate the machine. What's that word? The linotype Linotype machine. operator. Yeah. Uh, and so they get back in the car, but before that, Burgess Meredith lights his cigar because the whole episode he has a cigar in his mouth. It's the most penguiny episode of all of them. To call it a cigar is really doing a disservice to other cigars. It's like this malformed thing. Yeah. It's like a pipe cleaner that's just twisted in a million <laughs> different directions. It looks like a black lightning bolt. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Uh, and he lights it with <gasps> his finger. The old finger. I like to call that the old Jeff Myrtlebank. <laughs> the old Jeff Myrtlebank. Uh, so they go back and he like tests them on the equipment. Like, all right, uh, arrange the letters to type out this story. And then uh, Burgess Meredith is like, okay. And he ranges everything super quickly. And he's like, all right, there you go. Oh, and it's fascinating to watch. He's like, I don't know. I've never seen one of these machines He's making a lot of really stupid faces as his fingers are flying all over. It looks like a, like a stenographer's keyboard kind of in my rough knowledge of it is basically it's like an interface for putting like raised like type right into these like slots that then are used in the printing press so it's like a direct this is what you you put ink on it and then it mm-hmm. presses against the it's a pretty low tech solution but yeah yeah this guy was of, a, like a maestro he's the best no one's ever done it that fast yeah. it's impossible this guy says absolutely impossible uh, but he somehow did it uh and then he gets a story out and onto the streets within 30 minutes 
when a bank robbery happens. Mm. And then it's like the montage of like, extra, extra, this bank's been robbed. We have the exclusive, yada, yada, yada. And the newspaper sells like hotcakes. The competitors are starting to get anxious because this one bank robbery, everybody had to read about it and they could only go to this one newspaper because this guy, this new employee, Mr. Smith, Mr. Smith, yeah, he's now working for him just out of the kindness of his heart, he explains, uh, is just so good at his job. And he's writing stories about... Oh, he's also loaned them 7000 dollars. Yeah, just to get out of debt because they're about to... That he pulled out of... They're like, he's pulled out of his jacket in cash. Something Like, something like, like Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> suspicious character. Uh, and then he also writes a story, super quick, about a high school principal being exposed as a bigamist. That's another hot story. Yep. And the secretary is like, I don't know about this. I never heard anything about this. And then she calls the high school principal and he immediately is like, yes, I'm a bigamist. I'm I'm a complete bigamist (laughs) from way back. Got me red handed. (laughs) Uh, So she's like, okay, apparently it's true. Uh, And then he writes a story super quick about a fire destroying the rival newspaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where it starts to get a little suspicious because... Like the guy running the other newspaper comes over and he's very upset about this because I think you started that fire. Your newspaper's doing too great. Something's up. I don't trust it. Uh, And the owner of the newspaper has to be like, oh no, we're totally on the level. And then Mm -hmm. he walks back to his new hire, Burgess Meredith, and he's like, hey, did you start that fire? And he won't really answer the question. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I think he says like, oh, I started from an electrical thing. It's what I wrote in there. He's like, did you start that Gazette fire? I need to know. And he's like, uh, no, no, it started from that. I, I wrote the truth. It's a question of ethics, and I'm very mm-hmm. ethical. And it's like, all right. But as the episode goes on, he is writing these stories quicker and quicker, and the stories are getting worse and worse. My favorite story. Yeah, yeah please say the one I want you to say. It's the two, the honeymooner. Yeah. <laughs> you see, like, a shot. It's like, you see, you see, like, newspaper headlines kind of, like, superimposed over, like, footage of these things happening. And one of them, there's this couple in a boat... And they're like embraced and then they just topple over into the water and it's like honeymooners drown in a boating accident. They're just trying to kiss in a boat <laughs> and both fall out of the boat and then apparently drown immediately. Yeah. They're just lined themselves in lead. Yep. That'll okay. do it. So he wrote that story and it really sold some papers. They're outselling all their competition and the secretary is starting to get more and more nervous about this because she's like, something's up with this whole thing. Uh, he's doing too well. And also you've changed as a newspaper man. Like you're, you've sold out a little bit. Um, and so then where it gets even stranger is when this new employee writes a story about how, uh, this guy won sweepstakes, won a bunch of money mm-hmm. and uh, the newspaper man's like, all right, well, I'll check this. And he, cause apparently they do the fact checking very late. And so then he calls the guy that's in the story and the guy has not won the money yet. Correct. And then he goes to Burgess Meredith and he's like, well, my friend, hate to tell you, but you've pulled a boner. You pulled a real boner. And, and then he gets a call back and it's the guy saying like, oh. No, he says something like, well, Mr. Th- Mr. Smith says, well, he just ha- maybe it's he just hasn't looked yet right. under his door. And then the phone rings and there's a very obnoxious charm chime that the twilight zone plays yes as he realizes what's happening as he's listening to the other end of the phone call yes he realizes that my god this guy has just found out that he won these sweepstakes my now. god my devil yeah all right so eventually it's revealed that burgess meredith is the devil but it's 
revealed in a way where he keeps saying like, well, you know, the devil doesn't really exist. We both know it doesn't exist. So just sign this contract that will give me your soul. <laughs> Souls are like appendixes. Like you don't even need yeah, them anymore. What does it matter? Because it's not real, but yeah. sign this really, you really need to sign this. And he's like, well, what about souls? What about what's great about mine? He's like, well, let's just say yours is of a very fine vintage. Right. Just please give me your soul. So uh, the guy signs it yes. with the promise that his newspaper will do even better. So he sells a soul for- Become the biggest paper in the world. There we go. And also, uh, Burgess Meredith at this point says, you know, like, oh, you think you're the first newspaper man I've done this for? He makes some reference to that. And it's like, were they going for like a- Hearst joke or something? I don't know. Okay. Some old-timey joke that we probably lost Yeah, in the translation. All right. All right. Pop quiz. Yes. What number episode is this that involves the devil? What number How episode? Many How many episodes, episodes of The Twilight they... Zone? Oh, been, God. Like... Including this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to say six. Correct. Dun, dun, That's super dun. impressive. Okay. According to this chart that i found uh-huh. the twilight zone wiki searching devil we have escape clause yep nice place to visit mm-hmm. the howling man howling man still yes. valley the hunt mm-hmm. and printer's devil yes the hunt is a little iffy i don't remember if that he's was the devil. satan he's was the devil it? okay yeah or is it, i couldn't remember if it was just one of his minions and then also still valley it's like i guess you're kind of like summoning the devil but i don't think he makes a physical appearance there no so that one's kind of certainly on not like the howling man in Nothing all, can be like the Howling Man. The most devilly of all the devils. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is number six. And, spoiler, mm-hmm. it's not the last. Oh, no. We got a couple more So many coming. more devils. All right. Um, so, where the hell else is this going? Oh, yeah. So, there's also a weird moment where Smith starts to get a little bit touchy with the secretary girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Where, like, he, like, rubs two fingers along her cheek. And Let's go back a bit, though. Okay. There's a scene... Very early on, after the guy wants to kill himself, and they go to a nightclub, mm-hmm. and the waitress comes over and is like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay cash. And then Mr. Smith says, oh, I've got it, you know, because the guy's tab is no longer good. And he leaves, and the, the waitress leaves, and Mr. Smith says to the newspaper guy, she moves pretty fast for a big one. <laughs> So that was just stunning. Even though he's a real creeper, it's still Burgess Meredith, and he does a great job with his performance. Like, oh, he's kind of likable. I like the way he's stroking that lady's cheek and saying they're going to be best friends forever. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but ugh, that was just such a creepy line. She moves quick for a big one That's or whatever. Movie. Anyway, so yeah, she's like, she, the devil really likes that lady. Yeah, yeah. The and there's also movie. a scene in here, too where you get to see his finger ignite again. Yes. Except it's a close-up shot, mm-hmm. and you can actually see like the flammable gel that they coated Burgess Meredith's finger in yeah. to make it work. And it's, just, it's weird to see it that close-up, because then I had to actually think about how hot his finger must have been mm-hmm. and the little pool of water they had nearby that he could probably stick it in. Yeah. Old-timey, he probably just put it in his mouth. He's a trooper. Yeah, he's a pretty, pretty hardcore guy. Uh, so, so he puts some moves on Jackie. He says something like, what does he say to her exactly? You probably have it written down in your notes. Uh, he whispers something to her. Yeah, so she slaps him, and that scene is over. And then she tells the um, Douglas Winter, like, hey, this guy's a super creep, and 
Doug's like, okay, you know what? This just is no longer worth it at this point. Selling papers, and you know, then he's going to hit on my my girl. So he tells Mister Smith, you know what? I think our deal's done. Maybe you should move on. And he's like, okay, just uh, need your soul. And he's like, well, no. What's he? How does he try to renege on it? And so, here's what it is: is he Satan? types up a newspaper story because he's basically predicting the future through his newspaper stories yes. at this point. And he explains how Jackie, the secretary, is going to get into a crash, a car accident. Mm-hmm. And whether or not she lives or dies depends on whether or not Winter kills himself right. or he's allowed to take his soul right then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all left up in the air. Mm-hmm. He then kidnaps Jackie. They're driving away. He doesn't really kidnap. He says, well, I have to leave. Could you be a deer and give me a ride to the airport? I've okay. got another job opportunity. It's essentially a kidnapping, but he's very subtle about it. He's the very devil. About it. Then he's in the car and he starts speeding. And there is a long sequence of the car racing, them showing another car on the road at the same time mm-hmm. with some stranger in it. And then uh, the newspaper man, Winter, realizing that he can use the machine mm-hmm. to type out the end of the story. Mm-hmm because the machine is imbued with Satan's powers at this point, and he can predict the future and make sure everything ends okay. Right. And so he types out the rest of the story. As the car is getting into the accident, Satan disappears, right? Puff of smoke Puff turns of into smoke. a jaguar. <laughs> no, he's disappears. Gone. He's gone. Jackie <clears throat> is in the car on the side. Looks like she's hurt. The guy who's in the car that hit him, that runs over, and immediately starts grabbing her and moving her. Which, You're going to want to shake the neck. That's what you want to do. <laughs> step one for car accident vic- yeah. victims, shake them violently. Yeah. Uh, remaining silent the entire time. Uh, and Jackie is wide awake and just fine. Yes. So then we learn that he's finished the story to say she lived, and then also the contract is null and void because he didn't understand the terms. He didn't know what was going on the whole time. Right. And once you type that into the old newspaper machine... Yep. The entire world crumbles down around Satan. Yeah. And then it ends with them moving the machine out, and that's it. So here's the question. Oh, oh, wait. And then Then. Serling explains that the devil is not gone for good, but as he likes it, gone for bad. Ah. But he'll be back. But. but. (laughs) Of course. So how is Satan going to... Like rewrite the story. Was he going to hustle back after the Me? dude shot himself? He gets the soul somehow, and then he's gonna instantly know that, and he's gonna turn around and then run, prevent maybe, it from happening. Maybe this is all a test, and he wanted, you know, he saved Winter's life, mm-hmm. and maybe this was him putting Winter to the test of like, if you can figure out this puzzle, yeah, you can figure out that you have to type out an ending into this newspaper story that mm-hmm. gets you out of that contract. So be it. Okay. And you did it, and so I'll move on and go yeah. harass somebody else. Satan is a weirdo in this story, and I kind of like it. Because he does a lot of bank robberies and fires, but it had to go through his mind to be like, okay, I'm going to write a story. Because what he's writing comes true. He's like, okay, there's two honeymooners on a boat, and they drown. Okay, the school principal is a bigamist. <laughs> like, that story of all, like, he has this unlimited potential and that's such a small potato story and it's weird to me that they knew that something was up or at least the secretary started to suspect it just because so many negative things were happening around, yeah. happening around the town but like it didn't seem that crazy 
that like a couple drowned and then a week later a principal is revealed as a bigamist. Mm-hmm. But like the trend or the idea is that she's so suspicious because like too many bad things are happening at right. once. And this guy is typing it up as it's happening, literally. Yes. I am wondering though, at the end, why when when it's all done, okay, they embrace. Life is good. Dudes push the machine, which is clearly heavier than than it looks, because those guys were really putting their backs into it. Why they didn't keep that press around? Or have it explained like, oh yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Because oh, that see. seems like a really badass artifact. You, you'd want that around. You would want... The press that Satan touched? To, you could write nice stories. Well, yeah. I wonder if we would still have Satan's power in it once the contract is null and void. Yeah, but, but maybe could... they should have said, oh, this no longer has Satan's power in it, so take it away. They have an hour to work with, Ben. It's true. Lord knows because of that whole sequence climax of the car accident that just takes forever. Like, oh, God. It cuts to like... The other driver just, we've never seen this guy before, just mindlessly driving like three or four times. It really is. You could put like subtitles over it for how to operate your new linotype machine. Because you see <laughs> step by step, like how to put paper in there, yep. how to how to like tighten the little wheels, how to do this, how to move the keyboard around. It is seriously like an instruction manual on how to use this stupid machine. Yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't know what to make of this one. I realized like I was pretty neutral on it, but I still liked Burgess Meredith's performance a lot. Uh, so I gave it a six. This is so weird because I think that his performance was so good. And I gave this one an eight. I really, wow. I know. I think it's a really goofy episode and yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm turning into Ben Hansen right now by saying the piano in the room dilemma. Like I want to know an explanation of how this works, uh-huh. but I, I kind of wanted an explanation of how it works. Like, I want to know why it no longer worked. Or it, did it not? Yeah, it was it was weird. Like, the entire episode is building up the idea that, like, Satan is up to no good. Mm-hmm. I wish, by the way, when they first revealed him, he wouldn't have had the flaming finger. And it would have been left ambiguous. Like, how is he knowing all this stuff? And it's like, oh, it's Satan at the end. Instead of, like, basically telling you right away this guy's a demon or something. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, it's building up the entire episode as the main threat being this guy. And then it was weird at the very end to be like, oh, also he possessed this machine kind of sort of, and the machine has to be removed. It was just, it was weird to kind of split the evil at the end there when it wasn't really made clear up to that point that the machine was also powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little weird. Just, but I think Burgess Meredith did such a good job. Yeah. Yeah. He was super fun. And I don't know if he comes back in the Twilight Zone. This might be his last one. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. So he went out on top. You did. Like a real champ. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about this one? Whew. No. No, this was a good block. I really liked it with the exception of Jess Bell, which I really did not like very much at all. Yeah. But that, uh, the next two episodes that followed it were a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, thanks for listening to this long episode. Yeah. All right. So uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you like it. If you don't want to listen to it on the site, uh, review us if you feel like it. And uh, watch the next three episodes from the fourth season because... As weird as it is, I guess we're coming up on the end of that thing. I am so grateful. <laughs> so grateful. All right. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Highlight, highlight, highlight.